we shall be saved when thy face shines once more. Pay attention to that as we read our scripture. I'm going to uh, leave you the reading of 2 Kings 24. Perhaps you could do it in your homes uh, when you get uh, at your tables this afternoon. And we're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel 4. Chapter 3 concluded, for they are a rebellious house. Concludes on a very solemn note. In chapter 4, verse 1, you also, son of man, take a clay tablet and lay it before you and portray on it a city, Jerusalem. Lay siege against it. Build a siege wall against it and heap up a mound against it. Set camps against it also and place battering rams against it all around. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it and it shall be besieged and you shall lay siege against it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. Lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days. So you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Therefore, you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem. Your arm shall be uncovered, and you shall prophesy against it. And surely I will restrain you, so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. Also take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, Put them into one vessel and make bread of them for yourself. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food which you eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day. From time to time you shall eat it. You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hin. From time to time you shall drink. And you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. And the Lord said, So shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles, where I will drive them. So I said, Ah, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste, and you shall prepare your bread over it. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and shall drink water by measure and with dread, that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. So far, the reading of God's holy word.
The prophets of the Old Testament were appointed by God to proclaim His Word. They spoke with authority when they said, Thus says the Lord. But together with verbal declarations, there were also times when the prophets were called upon to act out a prophecy, symbolic object lessons to illustrate an important point. For example, the prophet Ahijah tore his new garment into 12 pieces and gave Jeroboam 10 to symbolize the division of the kingdom. The prophet Isaiah had to strip off his clothes and walk barefoot to show how the Egyptians were going to be, were going to be led as captives by Assyria. The prophet Jeremiah had to get a linen waistband and bring it to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in a rock. And then after some time, he had to go and dig it up again. The waistband was ruined and good for nothing, symbolizing how the Lord was going to ruin the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. The prophet Agabus in Acts chapter 21 acted like an Old Testament prophet when he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So the prophets frequently communicated both by word and by deed. And that is what we find here in this fourth chapter of Ezekiel. We have seen that when Ezekiel was 25 years old, he was taken into captivity. After five years in Babylon, the the Lord revealed himself to Ezekiel in that glorious vision. And Ezekiel, who would have been a priest had he remained in Jerusalem, was instead called and appointed as a prophet to the captives. He was appointed as God's messenger to a rebellious house, selected by the Lord to be a a watchman for the house of Israel. His task was to sound the trumpet, to warn God's people that if they did not turn from their evil ways and repent of their sin, they would face even greater wrath from the Lord. Well, now in chapter 4, Ezekiel is given his first assignment. He's received his call and general commission, and now he's given a specific assignment which would span the course of 430 days, a year and two months. He must act out a prophecy which represented the city of Jerusalem under siege. His enactment prophecies were to alert the captives to the impending disaster in Judah's capital. Today we want to consider, first, Ezekiel's model of Jerusalem. Second, his bed of affliction. And third, his diet of bread and water. We begin with his model of Jerusalem. Many of us have, at one time or another, constructed a model a car, a truck, plane, or perhaps a house. Many of us have also spent time in our childhood playing in the sandbox. When I was a boy, there were times that we would spend hours in the sandbox creating a whole city. We would make roads, homes, lakes, ponds, mountains, artificial trees, and we would create a whole little world of our own. Sometimes we would make a battle scene with two armies coming against one another. We dug small trenches, and with our limited knowledge of war, we built what we thought was an accurate representation of a battle scene. 
When Ezekiel was a young boy, he probably played games of that sort as well, as most boys do. But in this chapter, brothers and sisters, Ezekiel was no longer a young boy. And what he was called to do was not fun and games. The Lord told him to build a model. To begin with, he had to take a clay tablet and draw upon it a picture of Jerusalem. The clay tablet was probably a flat block of clay that was still soft. Ezekiel was to portray on it the city of Jerusalem. Then the tablet would harden in the sun, leaving the portrayal of Jerusalem firmly fixed upon its surface. Archaeologists have discovered such tablets with drawings, maps, and building plans. Verse 2 says that Ezekiel was then to set this tablet on the ground and build around it a model of Jerusalem's coming siege. He had to construct with clay and sticks a siege wall, a siege mound, and sent camps against it with battering rams all around. He had to make ramps at the outer walls of the city and equipment to pound the city walls. Now, to understand what this represented, we need to be reminded of what was taking place in Israel's history. The events of chapter 4 probably took place in the year 592 B.C., five years after Ezekiel's deportation to Babylon. In the year 597, Nebuchadnezzar had come up to Jerusalem, and after just a short time, King Jehoiachin surrendered Jerusalem to the Babylonian army. Jehoiachin was taken into exile, and Ezekiel was among the deportees. In place of Jehoiachin, Nebuchadnezzar appointed the third son of Josiah as king. His name was Mataniah. But Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Zedekiah. The change in name symbolized the fact that he was a vassal under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had authority over him. Zedekiah reigned, you'll recall, for 11 years in Jerusalem, during which time he submitted to Babylonian policies. But finally, he decided to rebel. Probably through the encouragement of the king of Egypt, Zedekiah instigated a rebellion, foolishly assuming that Jerusalem could not fall. But God punished Jerusalem by sending the armies of Nebuchadnezzar into Judah. After a lengthy siege, the wall surrounding Jerusalem was broken through, and the city defeated. Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The king's house was burned, houses in Jerusalem were destroyed, the wall surrounding Jerusalem was broken down, and worst of all, the house of the Lord was burned to the ground. The great temple with its sacred furniture went up in flames. The inhabitants of Jerusalem couldn't believe what they saw. They thought the temple could never be destroyed, but before their eyes it was reduced to ashes. Congregation, it was this terrible scene that Ezekiel was told to reveal to the captives of Judah who dwelt on the banks of the river Chebar. Six years before the destruction of Jerusalem, Ezekiel was told to make a model of the city, lay siege against it, and place battering rams against it all around. His model represented God's coming judgment upon Jerusalem. 
Ezekiel's fellow captives by the river Chebar were informed that things were going to become even worse than they already were. If they thought the situation was bad now, Ezekiel assured them that their suffering would intensify in days to come. But brothers and sisters, Ezekiel's model of Jerusalem was dreadful, not only because of the predicted siege, the camps, and the battering rams, but there was something else in Ezekiel's model of Jerusalem that was even more dreadful. What was it? Well, look with me in your Bibles to verse 3. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it, and it shall be besieged, and you shall lay siege against it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. What's going on here? Ezekiel had to take an iron plate and set it up between himself and the city. What did this iron plate represent? It represented the, an impenetrable barrier between Jerusalem and the Lord. The iron plate stood between Ezekiel's face and the model of Jerusalem. Ezekiel symbolized the Lord who is hiding his face from his covenant people. This is exactly what God warned Israel of in Deuteronomy 31. The Lord told Moses that if Israel rose up and played the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, and if they forsook him and broke his covenant, then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will what? Hide my face from them. Deuteronomy 31, 17. I will hide my face from them, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. Again in Deuteronomy 32, verse 20, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. I will hide my face from them. The hiding of God's face was God's covenant curse. The blessing of Aaron in number six proclaimed God's covenant blessing when it, when it declared, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For God's face to shine upon his people was the ultimate privilege and blessing. The shining of his face indicated a harmonious and blessed relationship, a sign of grace, favor, and love. The lifting up of God's face meant that he cared for the needs of his people and surrounded them with his peace. Now in our text, Ezekiel had to set his face behind the iron plate. The iron plate was between his face and Jerusalem. Ezekiel represented God, and the plate represented the separation between God and the holy city. Jerusalem was the place which, where, that God had chosen to manifest his presence in the midst of his people. It was the dwelling place of God. 
But through Ezekiel's model, God was saying, I'm going to hide my face from you. It's not going to shine upon you. In fact, my face is going to be set in anger against you. I am going to withdraw my blessing, grace, favor, and love. Jerusalem will not experience my peace. For the captives by the river Chebar, this was a dreadful message. They were hoping that perhaps they would soon be restored to their city. Ezekiel's model told them otherwise. God's wrath was against his city. His covenant curse was upon them. God's face was steadfastly set against Jerusalem. News of Ezekiel's strange activity must have spread quickly through the community. All who passed by and saw his model learned that Jerusalem's days were numbered. And it was all because of the nation's sin. The Lord was about to cast his people from his sight. God's covenant was broken and Israel must face the consequences. Congregation, these verses ought to serve as a reminder to us that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If we are unthankful and break God's covenant, His face will no longer shine upon us. I will hide my face from you. And brothers and sisters, think about this for a moment. Isn't this precisely what hell is like? Isn't this precisely what hell is like? Hell is a reversal of the blessing of Aaron. The Lord curse you and reject you. The Lord turn his face against you. Hell is a reversal of the ironic blessing. Those in hell will not have the face of God shining upon them in love. Rather, God's face will be set against them in wrath. The iron plate separating Israel from the love and mercy of God is a reminder of what eternal punishment will be like for the unbelieving and unrepentant. All who remain in their sin will suffer eternal alienation and separation from the love, grace, and mercy of God. His face will be steadfastly set against them forever. And isn't this also what our Lord Jesus experienced at the cross? At Calvary, the face of God was set against Jesus. He endured the reversal of the ironic blessing. The Lord cursed him and turned his face against him. The Father withdrew His favor from the Son. As the sin-bearer, Christ experienced separation from the fellowship and communion which He had enjoyed with His heavenly Father. His cries of agony from the cross were because of the pain of severed fellowship. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Congregation, If you die in your sin, God's face will be set against you in eternity. Everlasting forsakenness. But if you trust the crucified Jesus who bore the curse and wrath of God in place of sinners, you may be assured that his face will shine upon you 
for eternity. If you've rested your confidence in the Son of God, then nothing can separate you from His love, grace, favor, and mercy. Nothing can sever the fellowship between you and your Lord. So first of all, Ezekiel had to make a model of Jerusalem under siege with an iron plate representing the wall between God and His people. God's face was against them. We move then secondly from Ezekiel's model of Jerusalem to his bed of affliction. His bed of affliction. In verses 4 through 8, the prophet was instructed to lie on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 days. While he did so, his face was to be set toward the siege of Jerusalem. His arm was to be uncovered. He was to prophesy against the city, and he was to be bound so that he could not turn from one side to another. What's this all about? What's the meaning for the captives in Babylon? As Ezekiel lay on his side, he symbolized the judgment of the Lord that rested upon Israel and Judah. The number of days, 390 and 40, are not easy to interpret. The number 390 may possibly represent the 390 years of Israel's punishment for their sin, and the number 40, the years of Judah's punishment. From the time of Solomon's apostasy in 931 BC to the time when the northern kingdom was permitted to return home from exile in 539 is 392 years. This is rounded off to 390. The punishment of the southern kingdom of Judah may be determined from 586 when the temple was destroyed to the return of the exile in 539. That makes a total of 47 years, which is rounded down to 40. Perhaps the numbers 390 and 40 are both rounded down for this reason. If you add them together, you get 430 years. 430 years was the length of time that the people of Israel spent in Egypt, the house of slavery. 430 was a number that represented bondage in a foreign land. Brothers and sisters, whatever the precise meaning of the numbers 390 and 40 may be, The message that could not be missed by Ezekiel's audience was this. Israel and Judah were under the weight of God's judgment. Judah, Israel and Judah were under the weight of God's judgment. Day after day, week after week, month after month, the people could walk by Ezekiel's home and see him lying there flat out on his side on the ground. Over a period of 14 months, they were reminded constantly of the weight of God's punishment upon his people. Now, I don't think we have to necessarily conclude that Ezekiel had to lay on his side 24 hours a day for 14 months. As you continue reading this chapter, you learn that he also had other tasks to perform. He had to prepare food and drink. He had to get up for cooking, eating, preaching, and so forth during those 430 days. It's more likely that for a period of time each day, when it was the most busy, Ezekiel would lie on his side. It was something he did each day to remind the people that God 
was punishing them, all 12 tribes, north and south. Ezekiel was tied up with ropes, with one arm bare, facing the siege of Jerusalem. His bare arms symbolized God's impending judgment against Jerusalem. Congregation, just imagine how this must have been received by most of the exiles by the river Chebar. Remember, chapter 2 calls them what? Rebellious. Rebellious. It calls them stubborn, stiff-faced, and hard-hearted. It compares them to briars, thorns, and scorpions. Ezekiel's audience was not eager to hear the word of the Lord. You can be sure that they mocked him, ridiculed him, and treated him like someone who had lost his marbles. No doubt they made jokes about his mental stability, as do some people today. The hot Babylonian sun must have fried his brains. There he is, laying on his side again, making a fool of himself, staring at that silly model of his. Why doesn't he live a normal life like the rest of us? Why doesn't he say something encouraging and uplifting? Can he say something nice? Why does he draw so much attention to himself through his peculiar behavior? Ezekiel must have endured much mockery in his task as God's prophet. He endured physical discomfort from the ropes that bound him and the awkwardness of having to lay on one side for long periods of time. But together with the physical discomfort, Ezekiel must have also gained a widespread reputation for being an oddball, an eccentric, a nut. And yet... Even though he suffered physically and emotionally as a prophet of the Lord, it must have also been rewarding for Ezekiel to know that within his prophecies, there was not only gloom and doom, but also a message of hope. Yes, there was a message of hope. Ezekiel had to lay on his side for 430 days. The end of those 430 days represented the end of the exile, the end of captivity. The years in Babylon would come to an end. Just as the Israelites were released from Egypt after 430 years, so also the exiles would be released from Babylon. As Ezekiel's days of lying on his side would come to an end, so the years in captivity would also come to an end. There would be another exodus. For those among the captives who were still faithful, this message would not have escaped them unnoticed. God would bring about another exodus. Fifty-plus years after the events of this chapter, Cyrus would issue a decree allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild. Therefore, Ezekiel's prophecy spoke not only of judgment, but of judgment followed by mercy. Then thirdly, having considered his model of Jerusalem and his bed of affliction, we want to go on to his diet of bread and water. His diet of bread and water. In verses 9 through 17, the Lord instructed Ezekiel as to what he should eat during this 14-month period. 
Even his diet was symbolic. It communicated a message to those who saw him. Look with me, please, in your Bible to verse 9. Also take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Put them into one vessel and make bread of them for yourself. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. Verse 10. And your food which you eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day. From time to time you shall eat it. You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hen. From time to time you shall drink. The strange mixture of ingredients for his bread was intentional. The skimpy meals and the meager amount of water was also intentional. What did it mean? Why did God limit him to such a strange and meager diet? It was barely enough to survive on. What did it mean? Ezekiel's small supply of daily bread and water represented the result of the coming siege of Jerusalem. When the armies of Nebuchadnezzar would stand against Jerusalem, the food supplies would eventually run short. The odd mixture of ingredients for Ezekiel's bread was a recipe for leftovers, indicating a shortage of basic foods. During the siege of Jerusalem, there would be a dreadful famine. Ezekiel 5 indicates that it would be so severe that the inhabitants of the city would be reduced to cannibalism. Ezekiel's restricted diet symbolized the terrible suffering that would come upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He had to carefully measure the amount of food and water for each day. He could only have 20 shekels of food and one-sixth of a hin of water. That amounts to about a cup, eight ounces of food per day and two cups of water. The small supply of water symbolized the need for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to ration their water supply while under siege. Brothers and sisters, in the famine that was going to come upon Jerusalem, we see once again the covenant curse of the Lord. This kind of famine was predicted in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord said, if you do not obey my voice, your enemies shall besiege you at all your gates, and you will experience terrible famine within your cities. Ezekiel's meager diet of bread and water represented God's covenant curse upon the city of Jerusalem. And that's not all. It gets even worse. To bake his bread... The Lord told him to use, use human waste as the heat source. Go to verse 12. And you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. You see, during the siege of Jerusalem, any animal within the walls of the city would be eaten. Human waste would become the only remaining source of fuel. Therefore, the Lord told Ezekiel to bake his bread using human waste. However, being raised as a priest, Ezekiel was immediately repulsed by the thought. According to Deuteronomy 23, human waste was unclean. It was to be buried outside the camp. Having been trained for the priesthood, Ezekiel was very sensitive to any kind of ritual impurity. 
And therefore he responded in verse 14 by saying, Ah, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. Ezekiel had never broken the dietary laws. From his youth, he had carefully observed them. To use human waste as fuel for his cooking fire was therefore totally revolting. And so as an alternative, the Lord allowed the prophet to bake his bread on cow's dung. Verse 15, See, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste, and you shall prepare your bread over it. The Lord allowed the symbol to be modified for the sake of the messenger. But even with this modification, the message remained clear. God was going to cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem so that there would be terrible, terrible suffering. Verse 17 says that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away, rot away because of their iniquity. The inhabitants of Jerusalem would become gaunt, anxious, and fearful. Their bones would stick out. Their bellies would swell. They would be reduced to walking skeletons. Now, brothers and sisters, I believe there's something very important here that we ought to ponder. Ezekiel's diet of bread and water symbolized God's judgment. But within this symbolism, the Lord was declaring to Israel that the downfall of Jerusalem was due to the fact that they had rejected the bread of life. They had rejected the bread of life. The famine in Jerusalem was a reminder of their spiritual starvation. The lack of water was the result of them rejecting the living water. The prophet Isaiah had written in chapter 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Isaiah declared that there was a spiritual feast for all who trusted the Lord. There is abundant provision for the soul for those who rely upon him. The famine that Ezekiel predicted for the city of Jerusalem was due to the fact that Israel had rejected God's spiritual provision. Years earlier, Years earlier, when the people were traveling through the wilderness, the Lord sustained them with manna from heaven and water from the rock. But as he gave them that bread and water, he also reminded them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Israel had to know that they needed more than bread and water for the body. They needed the Word of God to sustain the soul. They needed the bread of God's Word. They needed the soul-saving gospel. God's people at the time of Ezekiel had rejected the Word. 
by rejecting the word, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The starvation that was coming upon Jerusalem was because of the greater famine in the land. God's people were spiritually gaunt, spiritually emaciated. They were walking skeletons spiritually. Dear friends, in John 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two small fish. Later in that same chapter, he said to the people, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the living water. He provides spiritual nourishment for all who trust in him. The starvation that was coming upon Jerusalem was because they had rejected this bread of life. They had dumped this living water. They had turned to the gods of the nations and broken covenant with the Lord. They had rejected his ordinances and the Lord said, I'm going to send terrible famine so that you might be reminded of your spiritual starvation. I'm going to remove your bread and water because you have rejected the bread of life and the living water. Congregation, how is it with you today? How is it with you today? All of you look well physically. You're not thin. You're not fading away for lack of food. But how are you Spiritually, are you eating of that bread of life? Are you drinking of that living water? Are you nourished and fed spiritually through faith in Jesus? Those who trust in Him will have their spiritual hunger satisfied, and those who come to Him will have their spiritual thirst quenched. They will receive spiritual abundance. But don't reject the bread of life as Israel did. Don't live for yourself. Don't bow before the false gods of our age. Don't reject the promises of the gospel. Feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Drink deeply of the water of life. Receive by faith a spiritual nourishment that is found in Him. Then you will prosper. The face of God will shine upon you in love. You will know his loving presence for time and eternity. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Come to him. Eat, drink, and be satisfied with the bread of life. For Terry and Ruth, we have no doubt that you will do your utmost to give your daughter adequate food and drink. But more important, 
is that you bring this message to Rosalie. Set before her the bread of life and the living water. As she comes to him, she will never hunger. And as she believes in him, she will never thirst. And that is so for each and every one of you. Come to him. Come to him. Let us pray. Lord, our God, these are very solemn words that we have just read together. We think of Ezekiel's model of Jerusalem and what it represented. And when we consider that your face would no longer shine upon them in love, we think of that iron plate between Ezekiel's face and the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Lord, as we reflect upon that, we truly do receive a foretaste of hell. At the same time, we also understand what our Lord Jesus endured on Calvary's cross. When your face was set against him in wrath. Lord, as we consider Ezekiel's bed of affliction, we think of the message communicated to your people. We are reminded, Lord, that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We pray that we would not sow to the flesh. Lord, when we reflect upon his diet of bread and water, Lord, we pray that none of us here would reject the bread of life and the living water. Lord, it's very possible that there are some here who have not turned for refuge to Jesus Christ and put their trust in him. And we think, Lord, of the horror for those who do not fully embrace that message. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Lord, we pray that each one of us would come to the Lord Jesus Christ and find our hope and security in him alone, and then to think that through faith in Jesus we may have your face shining upon us forevermore. What a privilege. What a blessing. We thank you. We praise you for the gospel message. We love you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.